Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning little mental health tools that make a big difference, figuring out how to be happier at work, or optimizing our microbiome to heal our whole bodies. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today's guest was highly requested by you guys. I am excited to welcome Dr. William Lee to the podcast. Dr. Lee is an internationally renowned Harvard-trained medical doctor, researcher, and president and founder of the Angiogenesis Foundation. His groundbreaking work has impacted more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, and heart disease. His TED Talk, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer, has been viewed more than 11 million times, and he has appeared on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and many other media outlets. His best-selling book, Eat to Beat Disease, The New Science of How Your Body Can Heal Itself, is available wherever books are sold. I really wanted to use our time with Dr. Lee to dive into a lot of the misinformation out there about healthy eating and to give you pragmatic tips that you can do today to begin to have your desired effects. First of all, Dr. Lee is so lovely and funny and just fun to talk to. This is not like dry, boring educational content, but also he is so well-versed on all of the latest research, which makes sense because he is literally doing a lot of it himself. We talk about how much we eat actually impacts our body, according to science, the impact of specific diets like keto and veganism on our health, if the Blue Zones concept is scientifically valid, what the research says about eating animal protein, if seed oils are actually bad for you, the healthiest cooking oil, including the one oil that Dr. Lee personally uses in his kitchen almost exclusively, if seed oils are actually bad for you, the healthiest cooking oil, a trick for buying the best olive oil at the grocery store, the best food for supporting your metabolism, what the research says about monk fruit, stevia, and other alternative healthy sugars, the best and worst foods for preventing neurodegenerative diseases, quelling chronic inflammation, cancer prevention, diabetes prevention, longevity, and so much more. Dr. Lee and I would both love to hear your thoughts, and I also just feel like this is going to be one of those episodes that you're going to want to share because all of your friends are going to be like, oh my God, what? I did not know that. So if you do share, please tag us both on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody, and he is at Dr. William Lee. That is L-I Lee. Let's get right into what the science says about eating well with Dr. William Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you, Liz. It's a pleasure to be here. I would love to just start off with, can you explain how much you think the food that we eat actually impacts our body? Like, is the food as medicine concept overhyped, or do you think that there is solid research to back that up? I think there's solid research, and let me tell you why. So I'm a physician, internal medicine, so I take care of young and old men and women, healthy and sick. And my goal has always been to understand the human body well enough to be able to keep people healthy or to bring them back to health if they actually get sick. Now, I'm also a research scientist. I spent the past 30 years in the lab and in the clinic gathering the hardcore scientific evidence to know what's real, what does science tell us, and also very importantly, to be able to differentiate between what people think or would like to think versus where the data actually sits. I actually started my career in biotechnology. So I started about 27 years ago, setting out to look at common denominators of disease. We looked at cancer, heart disease, stroke, blindness, arthritis, diabetes. 
And we found ways to actually develop new biotech treatments, drugs, pharmaceuticals, to be able to tackle them. And I've actually been involved with developing 42 FDA-approved treatments, new treatments for cancer and vision loss and, and complications of diabetes. So I also understand what it takes to generate the real evidence mm. for medicines. And so what led me to food as medicine was exactly the question that you started with, which is that how much evidence is there that the foods that we eat can actually make a real difference in our lives way beyond the classic nutrition of sustenance, right? We're not talking about hunger. We're not talking about surviving on a desert island. We're really talking about thriving and being all you can be. And that's where I was really surprised when I began taking foods and throwing the extracts of foods into the same systems mm. that we use to develop cancer drugs or heart drugs or diabetes drugs. And my own jaw started dropping when I started to see the scientific evidence. So yes, I think that there's real evidence that needs to be applied against what people think. There's a lot of urban legends out there, but the evidence is definitely out there that the foods that we can eat are powerful controllers of our health. And do you think that overall dietary structure matters to treat disease? Like, should we be paying attention to being vegan or keto or our macros or things like that? Or is it more about incorporating specific foods? Great question. So I'm somebody that kind of came into this whole nutrition, food as medicine space with open eyes and no preconceived notions. And I thought that was helpful because look, I'm actually one of the medical doctors that like most other doctors had zero education on nutrition. I had maybe seven hours going through medical school. I didn't come in to the field of food as medicine with a preconceived idea that it's, it's got to be keto or it's got to be whatever. I think it's crazy how a lot of people it happens more often than we'd like to think where somebody kind of comes in and they want to prove the point that they already believe in a little bit. Yeah. You know what that's called? That's called bias confirmation, right? Or confirmation bias where you believe something and then you grab everything you can to try to prove your point of view. And my view is this, and I'm very excited by this, the field, the real modern field of food as medicine is moving really quickly to generate the kinds of evidence that are out there. And I choose not to put a label on it, right? So if you're keto, you kind of have to belong to the keto religion. If you're a vegan, you've got to belong to that. And by the way, you know, I'm, I'm writing my next book on uh, metabolism, and I'm really doing some deep dives into these schools of thought. And, you know, I'm mm. totally cool on having different schools of thought. But veganism was really a moralistic point of eating, Little did they know that it actually was going to be healthier for you anyway, because you're eating more plant-based foods. But the idea is like it came from a philosophy, mm. an approach to life. I totally respect that. But when it comes to food and health, I also think that there's another thing besides the, the name brand of the diet that you may or may not be following. I actually think it's the personalization. We all are different. We all respond to food differently. We all grew up remembering that incredible smell of something our moms cooked that whenever we have it like it just floods us with memories and preferences and whatever it is that is every bit as important as the religion that you might subscribe to from a diet perspective so i tell people 
try to be true to yourself, know yourself, have that self-knowledge of like what, how food, how you respond to food and how food responds when you put it in your body. And then try to combine that with the evidence and, you know, Hey, look, if it fits within a school of thought, perfect, that's great. But you don't need to actually just belong to a certain temple in order to be able to actually benefit from food. With that personalization in mind, I've heard that certain people should eat certain things based on where genetically their lineage is from, and certain people are more able to digest certain things based on their family history. Is that true or is that a fallacy? It could be true. We love to think in the modern day that, you know, everyone is equal, right? I mean, but we do know at at the biological level that where we came from, does matter. Our heritage does matter. All you got to do is to go to one of those genetic tests and, you know, you find out not just whether you're Italian or French or Japanese or Chinese or whatever, you find out how much Neanderthal you actually have in your -hmm. your blood as well. So I think one of the things is that we're all different. We are all patterned. I would say that our own present day life experiences and how we grew up probably makes a bigger imprint than genetically how we are. Because a lot of how we live our own life has what we call epigenetic influence. So it's basically our our lived experience shapes the way our genetics actually function and probably overrides whatever happened three or four generations ago or 2.1 million years ago, you know, whatever. We're going to get into a lot of the empowering ways that we can use food as medicine in our life. But I would like to address first, I think everybody knows that one really healthy person who is eating a lot of vegetables, they were working out, they were doing everything right, but they still end up getting cancer or some other type of scary disease. And it feels really disempowering. And then I think a lot of people use it as an argument for like, this stuff doesn't really matter at all. So I would love your take on that and what's happening there. First of all, there's no single thing that we can do in our life that's the silver bullet to protect us against everything else. Let's start at the beginning. When our dad's sperm met our mom's egg in the womb, and we were just a ball of cells, we were completely just stem cells that, you know, at about day five or day seven, these stem cells started to form our liver and our jaw and our ears and our eyes and our heart and everything else. At that point, everything is about as perfect as we can make it. But the moment that we are unleashed onto the planet, we are influenced by things around us, right? So yes, there's food. We're going to come back to that in a second. But think about it. We're exposed to ultraviolet radiation. Mm. And I'm not just talking about getting sunburn on the beach. I'm not talking about going to a tanning salon to do the things you're not supposed to do. I'm not talking about cigarette smoking. I'm talking about just sitting in traffic for a couple of hours with the sunshine coming onto your skin. Like that damages your DNA. What about where you live? Did you know that planet Earth is a cauldron of radiation and it beams up radon from our basement, okay, into the soles of our feet, Mm. all right? We're getting natural radiation just from standing on the ground. What about off-gassing from your carpet, your furniture, that new car smell that everybody loves? That's not good for you. That's causing damage to your DNA. What about when you're filling your car with gas? I always ask people, do you stand upwind or downwind of the pump? And people look at me like- I know. I love the smell of gasoline. (laughs) And I know I shouldn't just be smelling it, but it's like one of those weird smells I really like. 
we all have something <laughs> that like really attracts us, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm downwind. <laughs> You're downwind. <laughs> You're a downwind girl. All right. Yeah. Now. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. A lot of what we talk about on this podcast are low-hanging fruit, little things you can add to your day that will make a huge difference in your health or mindset or just life in general. This product is one of those things for me. While a lot of health stuff is cumulative and all about consistency, this is one of those few things that I notice a difference literally right away. I'm talking, of course, about AG1 by Athletic Greens. I know some of you are scared that this is an overhyped product because you hear so many people talking about it, but I would never promote something that I didn't stand behind entirely. And in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. Here's the basics. You take a scoop of AG1 and mix it into water, juice, or a smoothie. I like water because I actually really like the taste of AG1, but if you're less keen on the taste, my hot tip is to shake it with ice cubes. It makes a huge difference. But I do really love the flavor. People always ask if I'm lying when I say that, and I'm not. I've really come to crave it. It tastes like bubblegum or tropical vanilla. I will say I might crave it because it makes me feel so good. It's like a Pavlovian response where I'm obsessed with the flavor because I associate it with how good I feel after drinking it. Okay, so you take a scoop, chug whatever you're drinking it with, and boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in, regardless of how the rest of the day goes. Because we're trying to eat all the veggies, all the mushrooms and seaweeds, but we're not perfect, and that's okay. AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, and adaptogens to cover your bases. Right after I drink it, I feel like a gentle energy. It's not at all jittery like caffeine, but more just like you just woke up from the best night of sleep. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon, right when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it's not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects, like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary, just to name a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. And they're third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash healthier together. The vitamin D3 and K2 is amazing. You actually always want to make sure that you look for K2 with your D3 because the K2 helps the D transport calcium to your bones where it's needed rather than calcifying in your arteries, which we do not want. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash healthier together to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now let's get back to the episode. Here's the thing. Why aren't people who smell gasoline being downwind, why aren't they getting lung cancer or skin cancer in the sun or traffic or feet cancer, bone cancer from radon? It's because our body is hardwired from birth with these health defense systems. Mm. They're our own internal army defending us, swashbuckling against all these other forces. So forget about what you eat for a second. Even those exposures, the tax that we have to pay for being alive on planet Earth can damage our body in ways that can come get us. 
that's probably how the person who got cancer wound up getting cancer and not just because they were eating as best they could. And there are some other influences that Akinshi tackles. The other thing is that, you know, there are these genetic time bombs that many of us carry in our bodies, unfortunately, and we're getting better at figuring those out too. Mm -hmm. Like there are saliva tests and blood tests and cheek swabs, things in the future, you know, maybe even one of those little arm things, tacky things that you can actually put for glucose. In the future, we're going to be able to actually get a much better idea from the get-go what we're more likely to be vulnerable from. And so this is what I say. We're lucky to be healthy as long as we are. And the reason that we remain as healthy as we are is because our body's health defenses are working on our behalf. And this is what I wrote about in my book, ETB Disease. And, and the foods that we eat can shore up our defenses, make us stronger, make us better able to resist the harms from the environment. Our body breaks down, right? Like you have a car and you take great care of it. You change the oil, you take it through the car wash, right? You're doing all the good things to it. Hey, a strut can still go. Your ignition can still go. This is life. How we actually master our bodies and how we actually really try to tip the balance in favor of our health is by paying attention to our food because that's the one intervention that we do three times a day. We prescribe ourselves foods that can influence our body's defenses mm. every single day. And life is tipping the scale down this way and we're eating some foods and doing other things to tip it the other way. It is balance. And so, yeah, for people, unfortunately, that seem like they're doing everything they can, some coin got dropped onto the scales on the other side that tipped the balance. That is not to say that the rest of us shouldn't be doing everything we can to counter those harmful weights. Do you think that food is the most powerful intervention that we have access to? I think food is the one thing that we have access to conveniently surrounding us that if we don't make good choices, we are leaving a tool out of our toolbox. What's wonderful for me is in the research I've been doing is to show that the foods that we love, that we like to eat, actually can be the foods that are also most healthy for us. Before I went to medical school, I did a gap year and I went to the Mediterranean. I lived in Italy and I lived in Greece. Mm. And the reason I went there was because I was so fascinated by cultures that go back thousands of years in which food was a very integral part of life. And people didn't fear their food. They loved their food. Mm. They didn't actually judge their food in negative ways. Like if you eat this, you're going to be, you're a bad person. In fact, quite the opposite. They said, if we eat this, meaning the community and, and it's from the land and it's local and it's healthy and we cook it the right way and it's a whole food, we don't eat too much of it. You know, all the things that are written in books now, I saw that in play long before the blue zones, long before all these healthy diets came out. And I thought, man, that was really cool. So when I went to medical school and I was memorizing all these drugs and all these things, I could never get out of my mind the fact that many people in the communities in which I live are just not thinking about it the way that mm. is more natural and taking advantage of nature. Do you think that the blue zones are a good model for eating well, or do you think it's too hard to kind of like suss out the correlative from the causative? I think it's an observational thing, right? So right. first of all, for your listeners, the blue zones are these areas in the world where people seem to live a really long time and really well too. So they get to be in their 80s or 90s or even hundreds, and they're 
vibrant, active members of the community. They're clear of mind. They're they got a sense of humor. They they're living the dream kind of thing. And so, you know, naturally, you want to find out where they are and what they are. So it's Okinawa, Japan, Costa Rica, and Nicoya, Icaria in Greece. Uh, there's a couple of villages in Sardinia in Italy, and remarkably, Santa Barbara. There's a Seventh Day Adventist community that lives in a very uh, particular way that happens to be very healthy. All these people live to really old age. I was talking to Dan Butner, who's the really kind of like the discoverer or the one of the pioneers of the blue zone. And guess what he's doing now? He's actually going around to discover new blue zones. Oh, cool. He's like, it's ridiculous. There's only five because that's what I that's what I always thought. Like, that's so interesting. Why is five a magic number? Yeah. And so he's now going around the world looking for the new blue zones, Mm. which I think is really cool. So what do we do with the blue zones? Or what do we do with these communities? It's like any scientist, right? Like, so Darwin went to the Galapagos to take a look at tortoises and look at birds and look at fish and see what what he could observe. You know, Louis Agassiz went to the Amazon way back in the 1930s when nobody knew anything. And he was just drawing pictures of what he saw. Mm. And so this is what this is what the value of the blue zones are. They give us the opportunity to say, what is it that the people in these communities who are living to this age, what are they doing that, well, maybe the rest of the world isn't doing as much? And are there common things? And here's common things. They're eating healthier foods, mostly plant-based foods, not exclusively, but mostly they're eating a lot of beans and legumes. Among healthy foods, that's something that's quite common, beans and legumes. They're physically active. So it's not just food, they're moving. And I'm not talking about joining the gym. You're not getting somebody who's 100 years old joining the gym. But they live in places where they have to walk up hills and they have to walk to see their friends and they're walking to town, they're walking to the market. And so it's this is something I'm writing about in my next book. Do you know that any kind of physical activity is better than being a couch potato? And when I'm talking about any kind of physical activity, here's the crazy thing. Even fidgeting mm. burns calories. If you're one of those people and your your leg goes like this, pop, 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 and everybody goes like, stop it. All right? <laughs> you're burning calories even when you're doing that. And so physical activity is one of these other commonalities. Sleep, they tend to sleep better. Lowered stress, they tend to have more in the blue zones, more friends, more community. They feel more connected. And so, you know, like I think that these are useful clues. They're not a prescription. They're clues that can tell us more of what we should actually do. But I think also the blue zones are also really instructive because, you know, like, well, they must be vegans in the blue zones. And yeah, you know, they do eat a lot of fresh vegetables that are grown right around and they eat seasonally. But, you know, people in Sardinia who are eating in Icaria in Greece, the two blue zones, the villages, they are eating cheese, goat cheese. Now they're goats that they they raise themselves and they milk themselves and they make the cheese themselves. But they're eating dairy. They're eating meat. Okay, it's from the pigs that they grow or the sheep that they grow, the lambs that they grow, but they're also eating meat. So if you really kind of observe, it just goes to show a lot of these black and white rules that we try to make for ourselves, the goddess in the details, it may be more complicated than that. And some of the things that you think that people say are bad, maybe you're not as bad as they're supposed to be. Mm. But what you're looking for are the clues of what are the good things that you should definitely be eating. I think meat is a really interesting one because places like the Blue Zones tend to be more plant-based, but then other researchers will point out all of the nutrients that are available in animal protein that you can't get in as dense of form anywhere else. So where do you think the research sort of pans out in terms of animal protein? 
Look, I think that animal protein has historically been a valuable source of protein. Animal proteins wound up suddenly becoming a problem with overconsumption. And of course, a problem of agriculture, of unsustainable agriculture in terms of how we grow meat in the industrial food, in the food industry, you know, the sort of factory farms are also not done well, not for the animal, not for the planet. And then when we overconsume it, it's something that's not so bad, maybe even has some good value to it, just completely taken to a chaotic level that's not so good for us. What I will tell you, though, is that really take the moral eating of cruelty to animals or prevention of cruelty to animals out of the equation. By the way, I was just doing some research on this. Do you know that one of the first vegetarian vegans people was Pythagoras, the Greek philosopher Pythagoras who lived 2000 years ago? Mm. Look, we all went, we all took geometry at some point yeah. when we were kids, right? <laughs> the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah. That's oh right. my gosh. Such a flashback. <laughs> Remember that? Remember yeah, yeah, yeah. That? A squared plus B squared yeah. equals C squared, right? He was a vegetarian. <laughs> well, here's the thing. He believed that in this thing called metapsychosis, and he believed that when people die, their souls can be transferred to animals. All right. So he didn't want to slaughter an animal or eat an animal for fear of eating his friends. Mm. Right. It depends on what your moral point of view is and your ethical point of view, your philosophical point of view. Animal proteins are not inherently bad in small quantities. More importantly, I would prefer to focus on what it is that the proportion of foods that you eat represents. It's definitely better to eat mostly plant-based foods. If you actually have a dinner plate or a lunch plate or a breakfast plate, it's better to put more plant-based foods on it. Make them taste great. Choose the ones that are grown in a healthy sort of way. Follow traditions that make the food taste great, plant-based foods. And what I say is that, you know, like, look, I grew up this way as well. You go to a restaurant your entree, pick your entree. It's going to be some kind of animal protein or fish, right? And then the vegetables are the sides. What I think that we should be doing is switching our mindset. If you go to sit down and look at a menu, look for the vegetables as the thing that attracts your attention first. Pick the vegetable, pick your vegetable first, pick your plant-based meal first. And by the way, plants can also give you protein, like legumes, great sorts of protein. And then if you're going to have something that's not plant-based like meat, Make that your side and don't eat too much of it. So it's really kind of flipping the flipping the equation on how we're, we've been kind of like brainwashed into approaching meals. I'm not a vegan. I'm an omnivore. But absolutely, I would say that the vast majority of whatever I put on my plate is plant-based. And I always look for seasonal plants to eat. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. You guys always reach out and ask me the best supplements you should take or how you should be modifying your diet and exercise for a specific issue that you're trying to deal with. And while I try to give you as many tools as possible on this podcast, at the end of the day, we're all individual, unique humans with individual, unique needs, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to this week's sponsor, Wild Health. Wild Health is a new approach to healthcare called Precision Medicine. Basically, they analyze your DNA, blood work, lifestyle, and more to provide you with truly personalized healthcare. And because it's so personalized, you get phenomenal results. They've had outcomes like a 39% reduction in inflammation or a 15% improvement in HRV. HRV, by the way, is an incredible marker of overall health that I think we're going to be using a lot more in the future. I am planning to do a whole podcast episode on it. 
They can see how many hours of sleep that you truly need a night or how caffeine personally impacts your body. They can see your biological age, which might be vastly different than your chronological age, and actually impact that to increase your health and lifespan. I'm a person who's been nervous about testing my DNA forever just because I'm anxious about what I might learn, but this is so different than other DNA tests out there because they give you action steps to actually reduce risks of negative outcomes versus like, oh, here you have these scary genes, good luck. You can actually do something about it, which always helps my anxiety so much. Like all of the doctors on this podcast, Wild Health really focuses on the root causes behind your health instead of just treating symptoms as they spring up. And they use hard science and data to truly personalize your healthcare to your specific body and needs. Plus, they'll tailor your health plan to your lifestyle so it's actually achievable. Like if you can't fit in long meditation sessions or you hate a certain food, you can tell them that and they'll find a different solution that gets you the same results. You're also not going to be chasing some like fad diet or taking a supplement just because everyone else is. You'll be doing what's right for you. You'll receive a 50-page report covering everything from your optimal diet, exercise, and supplement routine to your risks of chronic disease and prevention strategies. You'll also get paired with a dedicated doctor and health coach who will help you understand and apply the information to make the biggest strides towards your health goals. And the amazing news is it's all done by telehealth so you can live anywhere in the U.S. and reap all of the benefits. Unfortunately, because of healthcare regulations, it is only available in the U.S. at present. Just to quickly caveat for my international listeners, I am very sorry. If you would like to try Wild Health for yourself, go to wildhealth.com Liz and enjoy an exclusive 20% off with code Liz. That's wildhealth.com slash Liz with code Liz for 20% off. I am really excited about this one, and I truly cannot wait for you to try. Now, let's get back to the episode. I think one of the reasons that people often point to animal protein or want to focus on that is because of a focus on protein in general and how it's the most satiating macronutrient and that satiety, increasing those satiety levels has positive downstream effects on your blood sugar, which impacts your hormones. It also lets you not overeat and things like that. What is your approach to kind of loading up on protein to have those positive downstream effects in general? Yeah, 100%. Well, look, beans and legumes, which are a whole category, green beans, lentils, white beans, they were staple foods for many people for thousands of years. And they keep for a long time. They're pantry items. Soybeans, like in, in Asia, soybeans are actually like a staple food. They're like the bagel of Asia, right? It's, it's a soybean. They're dense. They're nutrient dense, very high in protein. They also can contain healthy fats, like a tree nut is another example, nuts and seeds, nutrient dense. And they also not only contain healthy fats, they can contain dietary fiber, which then feeds your gut microbiome and makes your overall metabolism healthier, makes it easier for it to heal and a good, healthy gut. Text messages your brain to actually help your brain secrete those hormones. And also there's bioactives found in these same nutrient-dense plant-based sources of protein. Then on top of that, by the way, yes, by actually loading up on protein, you actually are signaling to your body that the hormones to be secreted are satiety hormones. So you feel less hungry. That means that you're less likely to wolf down 
unhealthy foods, mm-hmm. and you're less likely to overeat. Look, you need fuel for your car, right? Imagine if you just kept on filling, you want good fuel for your car. So you're going to choose the high test gasoline, right? I don't know if that smells any better or not. <laughs> you have to tell me. <laughs> but if you were to fill up with the highest test fuel you can for your baby, the sports car or whatever your car is, and you float it up, if you overload even the best quality gas and you just keep on filling the gas and it overflows the tank, runs down the side of the car over the tires around your shoes, it becomes a hazard. Same deal with any kind of food. Overeating is actually really bad for you. And so I think that there's a lot to be said about picking nutrient-dense foods that are high in protein, that make you a little bit less hungry so you're less likely to overeat, but also think about them as this gift bag. They got fiber, they got protein, they got bioactive, they got healthy fats. There's a lot in a little package. That's actually a good use of your appetite. Just to put a fine point on it, are there any positive health impacts from consuming animal protein that you can't get from other foods? You know, you said to not have it be the focus of your plate, but is there any benefit to having it be on your plate generally? Yeah, well, there's a there's a no-brainer on this, which is animals have blood. Blood is made with iron, right? And we our bodies need iron to be able to create our own blood right? So iron deficiency anemia is something that we don't want to have. That's really bad. You'll, you'll be physically weak and have all kinds of problems. And so that's one of the examples where animals actually eating animal protein can be helpful because we're taking in minerals that are key. There's also vitamin B12, vitamin B2, vitamin D is also found in uh, animal protein. And then if you take a look at, let's move aside Bessie the cow, and you know, Porky the pig, but let's take a look at seafood. Mm. We live on a water planet. And if you live within 60 miles of the coastline, anywhere around the world, you're probably growing up around really, really fresh seafood that's coming in onto the dock that can get to your dinner table. And that's why people who live near the coast actually tend to be really familiar with not just salmon, like that's supposed to be the healthy fish, but all kinds of seafood. And what we do know is that fish are and, and sea life are part of an ecosystem. And the plants of the sea, the plant-based food of the sea, algae and plankton, they're not technically plants, mm-hmm. but they are really the plants of the sea, are eaten by the little fish. And those little plants, the plankton and the algae, make healthy fats, marine omega-3s. The little fish accumulate them in their body. The bigger fish eat the little fish. The bigger fish eat those fish. Big fish eat those fish. And so along the way, The flesh of this fish, the animal protein, also accumulates healthy omega-3s that actually are good for us. All the research has shown people who eat seafood two to three times a week have better health outcomes when it comes to overall mortality, cancer, cardiovascular disease, and I think Alzheimer's, also dementia, aging, healthy aging. Mm. So I'm one of these people that says, let's look at the evidence and try to understand why. So animal proteins have a role. If you choose to eat them, there are some benefits to them, but please don't overeat them. And please try to find responsible sources, sustainable sources, because we've got to take care of our planet. If you eat animal proteins, fish or land-based animals, make sure that that's not the main. Yeah. I think the main on your plate really should be plant-based foods. There's a lot of debate about seed oils online. A lot of people say they're destroying our health and kind of use them as a scary, you know, avoid these at all costs thing. And then a lot of people will come and say, 
they're not really that big of a deal. Like, don't stress about it. What does the research say? I will tell you what the research says. I was just having a conversation with a fellow scientist who was saying, have you heard about anti-nutrients? Anti-nutrients? The heck is an anti-nutrient? Like, it's not a scientific concept. Mm. There's, no, there's no such thing as an anti-nutrient. There's a nutrient, but an anti-nutrient's a made-up concept. There's no such heat-seeking anti-nutrient missile that Mother Nature is launching to destroy the healthy things. That's all BS. It's marketing. Okay. It's, you know, maybe, maybe well-intentioned people. So when people talk about seed oils or foods with anti-nutrients, they're talking about phytic acid. Okay. They're talking about lectins. They name these compounds and like, yeah, well, you know, those are really dangerous because they're made by plants to resist pesticides and they're toxins and they push back. And so when you eat them, they are actually toxic to your body and, the, and therefore we call them anti-nutrients. You know, that's fiction. I would say, let's focus on the real science. Let's focus on the bioactives. Seeds can actually have a, be a source of uh, ALA amino levolinic acid, which your body will convert into healthy omega-3 fatty acids, polyunsaturated acids. Awesome. Seeds are actually pretty good. Sesame seeds, hemp, even hemp seeds are actually really great. So you can use seeds to your advantage. That doesn't mean that you want to be pouring seeds down your throat. You're not a human bird feeder. So that's the other thing I would say is that, you know, people tend to hear about a concept, get stuck on it, and then say, well, if it's good, maybe I should just have a lot of it all the time. Our bodies, and we've been talking about this, right? So how is our body designed? Our body is remarkable. It's designed for diversity. We are omnivores. We're designed to be able to handle a little bit of everything. And if we can have a little bit of everything that's good for us, which you find in plants and, and herbs and spices and, and mix them all together in ways that taste great, we're, we're really doing a favor for our body. A research study showed that even for the gut microbiome, our healthy gut bacteria, 39 trillion bacteria in our gut. The gut bacteria is an ecosystem that is a happier, healthier ecosystem, more capable of delivering health to the rest of our body when we eat diverse foods as opposed to the same food all the time. So what's a single healthy food that's good for our, our gut? Well, yogurt's good for our gut because it's a, it's, got a, it's a fermented food or kimchi, but actually eating only kimchi eating only that fermented food, not so great, not as good as actually eating diverse foods. So that's what I want to like leave your listeners with is we want to eat diversely. We want to eat mostly within those categories of foods that we know are actually good for us. Feed your body's health defenses. We've got five of them, our circulation, angiogenesis, our stem cells, uh, our regeneration, our microbiome, our gut health, our DNA, the, remember that protection, our DNA protects us against damage from gasoline and off-gassing and radon and things like that. And our immune system, these are the systems that work on our behalf. When we feed them things that are damaging to our health defenses, our shields go down. When we feed our body things that elevate our health defenses, then our shields go up. And so again, this whole idea of like, what should we be eating? We should be eating things that we enjoy that support our defenses. What about the idea that the way that we're processing something like canola oil or a seed oil is more intense? It requires more chemicals than how we would maybe process an olive oil or something like that. And that processing is making it unrecognizable to our body or unhealthy for our body. I do think that there's really something to that, right? So if you think about how 
our bodies have evolved over millions of years, right? We're used to seeing foods in their whole form. So when you go to eat a piece of fruit or you go to take a bite of a, of a salad or whatever it is, I mean, our body recognizes the whole food. It knows exactly what it is and it exactly knows what to do with it. And I think that's hardwired into us. And these ultra processed foods. So we're not talking about just regular processing, because if you make yeah. if you make your own pasta from flour and eggs, whole flour, whole wheat flour and eggs, you're processing the food. OK, so if you're squeezing an orange, you're processing the orange juice. Right. So let's not talk about let's define. I'm talking you're talking about ultra processing where you go to a factory, you transform a regular food that your grandmother would recognize into a form that kind of doesn't exist in nature. Mm -hmm. You got to go to a store to get it. Industrialization, the application of technology to manipulate our food kind of creates a, a Frankenstein of sorts. Doesn't occur in nature. Yeah, it's got all the stuff in it, but you know, our bodies are not going to recognize that as what it was meant to recognize. Yeah. And so it'll process it, but it won't process it in necessarily the right way. There's a big movement now on plant-based meats, right? Mm -hmm. Or fake meat. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's an interesting direction to move in to help people realize that there are alternatives to eating a lot, a huge amount of saturated fat from meats. And again, there's kind of an ethical and a moral kind of basis behind it. But just because those fake meats are made with plant-based materials, I think it's really important, back to your question, to make a burger taste like a burger, look like a burger, bleed like a burger. There's a lot of processing, ultra-processing that a factory has to do to take whole foods and convert them into a form that, you know, I'm not so sure our body recognizes as a food. Yeah. And that has consequences that we haven't yet figured out. What is your favorite oil to cook with? Oh, I always cook with olive oil. Always. Do you like any other, like, will you use coconut oil, canola oil, ghee, avocado oil? Do you incorporate any of those into your diet? I will use some avocado oil, but I, I usually stay away from those other oils. And, and olive oil can be used in almost everything. I like the taste of it. I like the flavor of it. I've done research on it. Olive oil is great because it's one of the ancient fruits, because olives are fruit. There's oil, obviously, in olives, but there's a lot of water as well. And olive trees grow in really harsh climates, dry, rocky, dusty climates. And plants that thrive in harsh environments tend to fight back against their environment mm. by creating a lot of bioactives. So an olive has a ton of bioactives, polyphenols. One of them that has had a lot of research is called hydroxytyrosol. Now, hydroxytyrosol does a lot of things. Like I'm a cancer researcher. So when we put hydroxytyrosol in the lab as food as medicine, we found, man, this thing actually kills cancer cells and it cuts off the blood supply feeding cancers as well. Pretty cool. We also found that hydroxytyrosol actually helps to protect your stem cells. So it actually protects one of your health defenses. It makes your stem cells work better. And olive oils can actually do that. We also found that olive oil and the, and the polyphenols in olive oils good for the gut microbiome, mm. right? So because the first press olive, extra virgin olive oil means that you have not taken it into the factory to do ultra processing to it, to actually remove all the stuff, the little bits that make it green. Now, I will also tell you that we the new research actually shows that hydroxytyrosol actually is good for your metabolism. Mm. It actually prevents white fat, which is the harmful fat from growing. 
and it helps you grow more brown fat, which actually doesn't make you bulge. Brown fat actually helps to rev up your metabolism to burn down harmful fat. Mm. So olive oil can start to do this is by the way, this is all breaking news research. People are doing more and more stuff on it. And so when I think about olive oil, I, I want to know, all right, that's cool. The polyphenols, hydroxytyrosol. But if you ever go to a grocery store and you're trying to buy olive oil, like I used to get overwhelmed at all the choices, right? Yeah. Like what am I going to get? So here's what I do. Here's a tip for you. Here's like a hack for your listeners. I look for monovarietal olive oils. That means mm. an oil that's made with only one type of olive. And the olives that I look for are the ones that have the highest levels of polyphenol. I want the most. I want the biggest bang for my polyphenol buck when I get my olive oil. And so it turns out that there are three varieties of olives that generate oil with the highest levels of polyphenols. Greek olive oil made with Koroneki olives. So this is the varietal of olive, Koroneki. Fortunately, very common, not very expensive. You can find them on almost every grocery store, the Greek olive oil. Here's what I do. I pick up the bottle, it says Greek olive oil, and then I look at the label and I read it. And I look for monovarietal. Oh, it meets with Koroneki olives. Bingo. That's the one I put in my, to my, in my cart. All right. A second version, because I told you there's three. Number two, a second one is from Spain, Spanish olive oil, made with Picual olives, P-I-C-U-A-L, Picual olives. Fortunately, also very common, very inexpensive, very affordable. Tastes great as well because the polyphenols are what makes them taste great. And then in Italy, Italian olive oil, there's a, an olive called Moraiolo. Mm. It's made from Umbria. It's a little harder to find, but tastes great as well. You can search them online and buy them instantly. I'm having them delivered to your house. But I, I like the hunt a little bit, and I, I like mm -hmm. to find those <laughs> monovarietals. So those that's like a like a like a little olive oil hack for you guys. Koroneki olives, Picuel olives or Moraiolo olives, those three monovarietal olive oils, Greek, Spanish, or Italian, made with a single variety of olive, highest polyphenols, a lot of hydroxytyrosol, great for your metabolism, great for your health defenses, and they taste great too. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I know a lot of us are worried about the environment, and I totally get how powerless we can feel when people in power aren't taking the actions that they need to. We talked about in the Neuroscience of Anxiety episode how the antidote to anxiety is action. Basically, by taking the actions that are within your power, you literally catalyze a neurological reaction that will make you feel better. There's a ton of science to support this, and I found it wildly helpful in my own life, which is why I'm so excited to share one of the things that is within your power today, and that's supporting brands that are truly committed to sustainability and making a difference. Grove Collaborative carries hundreds of products aimed at replacing single-use plastics across your home and personal care routine. They have concentrated cleaners that come in tiny aluminum bottles, and then you use a refillable glass bottle and add water to it at home. You still get a powerful cleaner that's good for you and good for the planet, but you save all that gas on shipping heavy items and all that plastic from the packaging. And you're not skipping on efficacy either. Grove Co.'s cleaners are twice as effective as other leading natural brands. Grove Co. has basically everything you need to keep your home healthy and clean, from laundry care to hand soaps and more. All of the ingredients are Liz Moody approved, so you're not inhaling anything that's not great for you or your pets or your kids. 
And they're just so sustainability-minded at every turn. Like they make the only toilet paper that I have ever found that doesn't come wrapped in plastic, and they're going to be completely plastic-free as a company by 2025. The scents for their products are also really elevated and feel more like what you'd find in a nice hotel than anything that you can get at a grocery store. My favorite all-purpose cleaner is orange and rosemary scented, and then they have a lavender rosemary laundry soap that I am obsessed with. Also, this is random, but I always get asked what my favorite non-toxic condoms are, and after testing pretty much every single one out there, the ones that Zach and I both like best are the ultra-thin ones from Sustain, which I have literally only been able to find on Grove Collaborative. So, you know... Get your dishwasher soap, get your toilet brush with a replaceable head, and stock up on condoms. Go to grove.com slash Liz M today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 with your first order. Plus, shipping is always fast and free, so get started right now at grove.com slash Liz M. Again, that's grove.com slash Liz M. You can help your anxiety and help your house sparkle in one fell swoop. Now, let's get back to the episode. Are there any other foods that you think are superstars or emerging superstars for our metabolism? Well, there's a lot going on with the metabolism. It's really fascinating. We talked about nutrient-dense legumes like beans. So here's something that I think is so fascinating. So you ever had baked beans? Yeah, I love baked beans. Right. Me too. I lived in England for years. That's like staple breakfast. That's a breakfast, right? So baked beans, which look red or kind of brown when you have it in an English breakfast, there's different, there's things in a recipe to make it taste that way. Tomato, molasses, things like that. But they're actually white beans. They're, they started as white beans and they're used to make soups and stews. Many of the Mediterranean countries have their own delicious recipes baked. They could be stewed. They could be, you know, made into snacks, all kinds of ways of using white beans. White beans contain, they're nutrient dense. They have a lot of protein. They lower your appetite. It makes it easy for you not to overeat. Number two, they've got tons of dietary fiber to feed your gut microbiome. Good, healthy gut microbiome makes you have healthier and happier as well because it signals to your brain to release happiness hormones. Another little side footnote tip for you guys. One of the gut bacteria called Lactobacillus ruteri has been studied now to signal your brain. I call it text messaging your brain to release social hormones like dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin, right? So some of these Mm. like dopamine, serotonin, like psychiatrists write drugs to actually try to raise a level. Your gut bacteria can do it naturally. Like inside happiness is really important to think about. And do you get that by eating something like white? Like, is it produced in your body if you eat high fiber foods or do you consume it like a kefir or something like that? It's present in a lot of foods, like um, even sourdough bread. By the way, the sour of sourdough is made with lactobacillus. It actually it actually makes that lactic acid is what makes sourdough sour. It's found in a sauerkraut. It's found in some forms of yogurt. You can look for lactobacillus. I thought it was a specific strain of lactobacillus that you said, is it? Lactobacillus ruteri. Ruteri. Okay. And, and you could get it as a probiotic as well. Again, this is like a kind of a breaking area of research. But what's really interesting is that when researchers looked at lactobacillus ruteri, they found, they did this in animals. They, they put the lactobacillus ruteri in the drinking water and they gave mice, you know, they were going up and like the, like the gerbils, you know, and you're, like when you're a kid, so they suck on the drinking of the bottle, they're drinking it. And they measured their oxytocin levels. Mm. Now, oxytocin actually is a happiness hormone. It's a social hormone. It's the hormone that surges from your brain when you see a friend, 
that you haven't seen for a long time. You want to run up to them and give them a hug. When you have a kiss, like a deep French kiss, that's oxytocin that makes you feel good about it. And like the the analogy I always give for like people like, yeah, I still don't quite get it. I'm like, okay, here, you're going to get this one. Oxytocin is released in a gigantic surge in a flood for a few seconds when you have an orgasm. Mm. That's oxytocin as well. So here's a foods that can influence our gut bacteria that can influence our brain to make us happier, to make us feel better. And that's really a powerful message um, as well. So beans are example that can actually stimulate good, healthy gut bacteria that can stimulate our mental health or mental wellness, let's call it as well. And they've got uh, dietary fiber, they've got bioactives as well. And here's the thing. There was a study done by the University of Toronto looking at white beans, canned white beans, not even fancy white beans, the stuff that you go to a grocery store and you pick up them and, you know, you open them up with the can opener and they gave a cup a day for five days to a bunch of young people to eat over the course of a week. So five cups of white beans over the course of seven days. It's about three quarters of a cup a day. And what they found is after a month of eating this way, that people lost weight. Hmm. They lost body weight, but they also shrank their waist size by an inch. Hmm. So again, fighting body fat, boosting your metabolism, helping your microbiome, feeding your mental wellness. This is a little bit of the food as medicine. Yeah. Uh, so what can we do that's simple, that's achievable, that is not that expensive, but like accessible to most people? Beans and legumes are, are among those foods that are healthy. I love that. I would love to play a little game where I say one specific thing that we're trying to address, and then you tell me one food to maybe avoid and one food to add based on research. Are you down? Okay. Yep. Down with that. Go ahead. Okay. Let's start with preventing diabetes. Uh, avoid added sugars. So super sweet cakes and cookies, add dietary fibers, nuts, Tree nuts are a great way to stimulate your gut microbiome, which then most people don't realize is that your gut microbiome works on your behalf to lower blood sugar and improve your metabolism. I have to ask, I'm like, I just started this game, but I'm going to deviate from it for a second. (laughs) But what do you think about the alternative healthy sugars, things like monk fruit and stevia? Where's the research playing out on that right now? Here's what we know. We know that artificial sweeteners made in a factory by chemists actually can harm your microbiome. So although they don't deliver calories themselves, they can impact your gut microbiome. And so then your metabolism gets thrown off and now you're actually gaining weight and your your metabolism is thrown off, even though you tried to not eat sugar. So avoid those artificial synthetic sweeteners, the aspartame and sucralose and all that kind of stuff. Monk fruit and stevia, I think that they're so far the research shows, and I, I'm being honest with you as a researcher, we don't know everything yet. Yeah. So far, they look okay. Okay. You don't need very much to actually get a real hit of sweet, which is just a taste bud in your tongue. We don't know if you eat a lot of it, what's going to be the consequence, but so far they're okay. One thing about stevia that I think is really important to understand, I was at the garden store about a month ago and I actually bought some stevia plants to grow in my garden because I was just interested in in growing them and they're just so out there growing. But the stevia that you buy in a store, make sure you check box that you buy the ingredient label to make sure that in fact, there's only stevia in there. 
because sometimes they call it stevia that's got the big print. Yeah. If you look at it, it's got all these other chemicals in there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get those. If you had to choose between sweetening your tea or your oatmeal with something like coconut sugar or date sugar versus stevia or erythritol or monk fruit, which would you choose? I actually use a little date, date syrup or honey is a good way of doing it. Okay. Honey, by the way, has antibiotic properties, which is good for your throat. Mm. Think about it. Honey is growing in a hive, little, little baby bees in the hive. The hive is just exposed in the woods out there. How come it doesn't get infected? How come those baby bees aren't dying? Mm. Natural antibiotic. And so I like this idea of like saying, well, you know, maybe I'll get a little natural stuff too. So the slight blood sugar hit of having those sugars is maybe outweighed by some nutrient benefits that come with them. Could be. And of course, everyone's different. So what I would say is that, you know, if you're struggling with blood sugar, if you have diabetes, you know, you might want to think more carefully about how you're going to play that sweetening game. And so I think it's very individual. You know, this is what I always say is like, there's, I know we always want blanket rules. What should I do <laughs> if, and I'll try to answer them as well as I can. But I yeah. do think that like, if you're struggling with a disease condition, a health condition, especially a metabolic health condition, there's so many factors that can go into it. It really is going to be tailored just to you. Okay. Back to my game. All right. What about preventing Alzheimer's or neurodegenerative disease? Ooh. Okay. Here's the data. Stay away from ultra processed foods. There is actually a connection that's been noticed, a correlation between people who eat a lot of boxy junky foods and dementia. Mm. It's okay to eat a little bit, you know, but the yeah. point is like, don't be a 1950s robot and just follow the television commercials. Cut down or cut out is what I say. Now, what can you actually do to prevent it? Interestingly, some of the population-based research shows that drinking coffee which I do every day, hmm. actually can lower the risk of dementia. What is in coffee? Chlorogenic acid. What does chlorogenic acid do? It helps your stem cells actually grow and, and helps your blood vessels grow as well. So maybe there's something there that actually is beneficial to help you. We don't understand Alzheimer's. You can't deal with things very well if you don't understand. Alzheimer's is still a black box. Yeah. But staying away from synthetic foods and drinking coffee uh, seems to be better. Oh, here's a little extra little curveball, good curveball for you, is that, so I t mentioned chlorogenic acid in coffee. Okay. So that's a, one of the many bioactives that we know is good for brain health, good for heart health, good to help you fight cancer, good for your metabolism, chlorogenic acid. What kind of coffee should you buy? Now, I used to be a big skeptic on organic. I'm like, I used to say, I, it feels wrong to me to pay more money to have less bad stuff in my food. It rubs me the wrong way. Then I started to realize that research is showing that organic foods actually have more of the good stuff, the bioactives. And why is that? It turns out in the wild, in nature, bugs, aphids, little insects, they nibble on the stems and the leaves of plants that, that create fruits and vegetables and coffee beans. And when those nibbles are going on, the plant, the whole plant views that as an injury so as a response, they actually create these bioactives like chlorogenic acid mm. in order to be able to respond to the pests nibbling on them. Some of this are natural pesticides. Some of them is actually wound healing. It's got wound healing properties. So when you allow a plant to grow with bugs around them, they'll actually have more of the good stuff, the bioactives. Mm. When you have conventionally grown, sprayed with pesticides, they'll look nicer, right? Because you have less bugs nibbling on them. But they also have fewer 
of the bioactives. That's interesting. So it's less about even what you're spraying and consuming the pesticides and all of that. It's more about the structure internally of a plant that has to struggle, actually, to go back to your earlier point about struggling being good for what we're consuming. Exactly. Exactly. So back to the coffee thing and Alzheimer's. So it turns out organic coffee has 30% more chlorogenic acid than conventionally grown coffee. Remember, we talked about the olive oil the same way. What's the best of the best? How do you get the most bang for your coffee buck for chlorid when it comes to bioactives? Turns out organic coffees actually have more of the good stuff. I love that. Okay. What about one to add in and one to get rid of if we want to quell inflammation? First, let me just say a little inflammation is good for the body. A lot of inflammation is bad for the body. And I think that I really want to clarify that because a lot of people hear inflammation and like must get rid of inflammation. No, no, no. You don't want to shut off your body's ability to have inflammation. Think about inflammation as a campfire in the woods next to your tent, your, 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 the tent you've pitched, and you're going to warm yourself and you're going to have to tell ghost stories around the campfire. And then it's good. And when you go to bed in the tent, you put out the campfire. And that's also exactly what inflammation does. It protects us against injury. It cleans up a wound and then it's turned off, shut down, shut off. Chronic inflammation is what you want to get rid of. And I think when you say, you know, what about how do I get rid of inflammation? You want to get rid of chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation, back to the fire pit analogy, is when you don't put out the campfire. You go to sleep in the tent and a spark jumps out of the fireplace and ignites Mm. the forest. And now the whole forest is burning and you're sleeping in a tent thinking everything is okay. That's chronic inflammation. So what are the foods that you can do to kind of quell chronic inflammation in the body? What do you want to stay away from first? It turns out that added sugars um, actually really spark inflammation. Mm. It's an odd thing. And maybe what it is is that actually the added sugars actually tamp down your gut microbiome, which then has an anti-inflammatory response. But basically your gut microbiome, your gut bacteria actually powerfully turn down that campfire. Like it basically puts out the campfire whenever there is something out there. So anything like added sugar, high fructose corn syrup, you know, those kinds of things are really pro-inflammatory. What's a good thing to put out the campfire to lower chronic inflammation? Well, studies have been done in Japan. There's a, in a prefecture called the Miyagi prefecture in Japan. And they've there's a lot of people who have lupus there for some reason. Hmm. And so they've studied women who have lupus, which is a inflammatory autoimmune disease. And what they found is that women who eat a lot of foods containing vitamin C actually have lower inflammation markers and they have less lupus flares. So what are some of those foods? Strawberries, guava, tomatoes, all great sources of vitamin C, citrus. So broccoli, great source of vitamin C, diversity, vitamin C, great stuff that you can actually eat to lower inflammation. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. I know you guys love the money episodes we do on here, which is why I am really excited to share a podcast that I've personally been loving lately called All the Hacks. In fact, I love it so much that I actually did a podcast swap with my friend Chris Hutchins, who hosts the show. He came on Healthier Together and shared the best networking advice that I have ever heard and a complete guide to getting free first-class flights and fancy hotel rooms using credit card points. But truly, this guy has all the hacks. If you want to upgrade your life, money, and travel, I think you would love this show. I highly recommend his recent episode on digital minimalism with Cal Newport, all of the solo episodes where he dives into his own philosophies. These ones are truly my favorites. And of course, you could always start with the episode where he interviews yours truly about all of my health and wellness hacks. That went live back in April, so just scroll back a little bit to find it. 
All the Hacks has something for everyone, and I'm sure that you'll find a new tactic that you can apply to your own life, whether it's a money hack that increases your net worth or a routine change that boosts your productivity. So search for All the Hacks. That's All the Hacks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your wallet will thank you later. So for the added sugar, are we not counting fruit in that then? Because I'm immediately like, well, guava and strawberry and these things have a lot of sugar. And if the sugar is increasing our chronic inflammation, how do we balance that? Such a great question. I'm so glad you asked that because people people are always concerned about that, you know, like fruits. So fruits actually do have some fructose. Fructose is not an added sugar because it's actually they're in your bowl. Like if you eat a grapefruit and you put sugar on it, if you squeeze out the grapefruit juice or just eat a grapefruit, you're actually getting it very naturally. That's not added. That's that's kind of baked in sugar or in, intrinsic sugar. And your body, most people's bodies can handle a little bit of sugar like that. But the reason you want to eat fruit is because it's got so many other things wrapped up to that sugar. This is what we talk about nutrient dense, right? Yeah. Like it's not just simply nutrients in the conventional sense. It's a bioactives. It's the fiber. It's the stuff that's good for your microbiome, the stuff that's good for your health defenses. There's so many advantages that you can actually eat, you can get from eating fruits that it it far outweighs the sugar. Now, if you've got diabetes, okay, you should really definitely talk to your doctor to really make sure you're monitoring and having a plan because if you overeat even fruit, you could wind up putting more sugar into your system than your body can actually handle. What about longevity? What to avoid for longevity? Ultra-processed foods. There was a study recently looking at, I want to say 20 million people, a ton of people, looking at the impact of of ultra-processed foods. Definitely correlation with not living quite as long. People that ate little or no ultra-processed foods, meaning whole foods or minimally processed foods, actually live longer. What's the reason? Well, we don't quite understand it yet, except that we do know that a lot of the ultra-processed foods have chemicals, some of them synthetic, some of the things that actually damage our gut microbiome, uh, damage our immune system, impair our circulation, mutate our DNA, stun our stem cells so we don't regenerate. So, you know, like the research is going on there, but I would say cutting down or cutting out ultra-processed foods. What should you have? Well, here's the thing. Coffee comes up again Hmm. as one of those foods that actually has been associated with longevity. Now, now we have another interesting connection. Turns out that people who drink more coffee, their telomeres, these are the protective caps on the end of our DNA that shrink as we age. So think about Mission Impossible. You light the fuse and the fuse burns down. That's your life fuse. And it's your telomere. So, and, and so as your telomeres burn down like a fuse, boom. Right at the end of the day, like you're 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 out of gas, you know your cells kind of blow up, and so we want to protect our telomeres as uh, we want them as to be as long and as protective as possible. Turns out that people who drink coffee not only slow down the burn rate, the natural burn of the telomeres, mm. can even make it longer. You can actually reverse the shrinkage a little bit. How much coffee is observed to be helpful for telomeres? About three cups a day, and I would say that most people who drink coffee probably drink three cups a day. Okay. I have a question. I can't do caffeine because it stokes my anxiety and I'll have panic attacks. Mm. Is it worth it for me to try to incorporate decaffeinated coffee or should I try to get that what, what chlorogenic acid? Is that what you said? Should I try to get that elsewhere? We don't know exactly what's in coffee that can actually help you with longevity and decrease Alzheimer's disease. Probably not the caffeine. 
So I would say for those benefits, you could probably remove the caffeine and be just fine. Okay. Decaf is probably okay. However, this is like, again, the God is always in the details. How the caffeine is removed is really important. So you want to do your research. Okay. If you remove caffeine using a water process, you're using water to flush out the caffeine and keep the chlorogenic acid and other bioactives. You won't get the caffeine. You'll actually still stick with the good stuff. This is also true for tea, by the way. Okay. Some people are very sensitive. I don't know if you're sensitive to tea, the caffeine in tea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So decaffeinated tea, decaffeinated coffee, same deal. Decaffeinated, we're using a water process that retains all the polyphenols in the, both the coffee and the tea. Traditionally, the way you remove caffeine is to use solvents, mm. chemicals that you flush into there, like acetone and all these other things. You definitely don't want to be drinking coffee or tea that's been flushed with solvents, petroleum products to get rid of it. Yeah. Not only do you have leave some creepy residues in there, you can, but also those solvents are so powerful Water is not quite that powerful. Solvents are so powerful, it also extracts out the good stuff. So you remove the polyphenols, you remove the chlorogenic acid, right? So you don't want that. I feel like water everywhere took offense to that. Yeah, exactly. Water's not so powerful. Water's like, excuse me, Dr. Lee, I'm very powerful. Well, what I'm saying is that (laughs) water is not so caustic and overkill. Yes. It's, it actually creates a more of a- Water's gentle. Gentle, exactly. It, fl- <laughs> it flows naturally. I know you have done a ton of research on cancer. Could you give us one thing to eliminate and one thing to add in if we wanted to prevent cancer? Remove processed meats. Hmm. Cut down or cut out. And I'm talking about like the pepperoni, the all the stuff that you find in a deli. The World Health Organization- classifies processed meats as a carcinogen. We don't do that in the United States. There's like meat lobbies and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. the, the WHO actually classifies that. So, you know, I think we should all be global citizens when some world authority, by the way, says this thing can cause cancer. Even if your own country doesn't say that, ah, you might want to pay attention to what other people are saying as well, right? So that's one thing to remove, okay? Something to add that is wonderful for reducing the risk of cancer is green tea. In your case, decaffeinated green tea, specifically decaffeinated using a water process. And so that way you'll rem- you'll retain those polyphenols, those green tea polyphenols. Those are really, really powerful. I've done lots of research on that. It starves cancer, causes cancers to commit, like they go bye-bye. They kind of, they, it's called apoptosis. And then you hear about the autophagy, then your body will clean it out all good stuff to happen. It's anti-inflammatory. Inflammation is a is like pouring gasoline onto the embers of a fire if you've got any cancer cells in your body. That is definitely mm. something you don't want to actually have. Yeah. Green tea, add processed meat, take out. Is matcha a super powered green tea or do you think that's marketing? All right. And I'll tell you why I want to say yes. It requires you to know something about what matcha is. Regular green tea are tea leaves that are handpicked off the tea plant and put into a bag or just loose leaf and you brew it in water and the polyphenols dissolve out of the leaves into the hot water and you drink the water. You can, you can put it in the refrigerator and you can have iced tea. Still there. Polyphenols are there. But there's still, by the way, you know, you can brew a cup of tea like three times with hot water and still get more polyphenols out of it because you don't really extract all the polyphenols out of the tea. This is where matcha is different. Matcha is actually green tea grown for I think three weeks before they harvest it, 
under shade. So they actually put these canopies over the leaves. Now the now the tea wants more sunshine. Mm. So it under stress, mm. it ramps up its polyphenols. So by the time they pick these shaded tea leaves, three weeks later, they've got more polyphenols. So to start with, matcha leaves have more polyphenols. Second, they do strip the, the the stems and stuff out of it. And then what they do to make matcha, which is a green powder, they powderize, they dry and then powderize the entire leaf. Now you get, and, and then that's what you're drinking. So you are getting 100% of the leaf's polyphenols in matcha that's already had their game upped by, by being stressed in the shade. Then you also get the plant fiber, the dietary fiber that's present in the mm. leaf itself. So matcha- Which is going to be good for your gut microbiome and all yeah, of that. Yeah. You got it. So like, you know, you sort of throwing out there the bait of like the superfood. Is it a super tea? Yeah, it is quite super for the reasons that we just discussed. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about where people can find you online, a little bit about your book and your own words? Yeah. So look, I'm a physician and a scientist, as you guys know from our conversation. I'm also an author. I wrote a book, a New York Times bestselling book called Eat to Beat Disease. And the subtitle is really the, the gold mine here. It's the new science of how your body can heal itself. That's what we've been talking about. It's really your body doing all this. There's no superfood, no single superfood that can do it. It's your body doing it. And then I put 200 foods in there that you can actually learn about. So way more than you can fit into a podcast. So buy my book. You can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon or wherever. But then I also want to tell you that because you know I, I did all this research in a book, you can only put so much in a book. My mission is continuously get information out to people who need it. So if you want to learn more, like what we talked about today on Food is Medicine, Come to my website. It's www.drwilliamlee.com. You can find me on social at Dr. William Lee. I'm always putting up more stuff on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. And please sign up for my newsletter because one of the things I do with my newsletter is I'm continuously pumping out research information I find that can lead to a practical step to help you make a better decision on an everyday basis. So sign up. It's free. I want people like this is my mission in life is to really help people benefit from the stuff I know, because it, it's the one thing I told you at the very beginning, I've been a while with developing biotechnology. It can take 10 years, a billion dollars, and then most people can't get it or don't need it. Yeah. Food has immediacy, something that yeah. we talked about on this podcast. Now that, you know, when you're finished listening to it, you can go out and make a decision. You can make, you can take an action right away that can already start to benefit your life. So please sign up for my newsletter and I do master classes and you can learn about them on my website. And I also, by the way, designed for like, I started to get people mail me saying like, you should teach a course, you know, you should do a training thing. And what I realized is that for, there are lots of people who say, you know, look, I'm pretty healthy already. But I like to up my gain and take take my knowledge to translate it into at a deeper level. And so what I decided to do is to develop an online course. You can find that out too if you come up and sign up to my website. Amazing. Well, I'm going to go and find some decaffeinated green tea and coffee to order. And I so appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. This was wonderful. My great pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I hope you loved this episode with Dr. Lee. I am so curious what changes you're going to make, so be sure to tell me on Instagram. I'm for sure going to buy the Greek olive oil, and then I'm going to start incorporating decaf green tea and coffee into my life, so I will be sure to let you know how that goes. 
If you're new here, make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. We have amazing ones coming up, including a highly requested derm debunking skincare myths and an episode on how to stop being stuck in your life. Plus, next Monday, our newest advice episode drops and there are two very special guest stars. So subscribe, subscribe, subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balance meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out.